the team we have is just fantastic. It's tight knit. It's like you know, I was saying someone the other day. It's it's like a swarm, like it's a hive mind. Everyone's on the same page because you've kind of developed chemistry mm. in the hardest. That was unimaginable. Like early 2019, if you told someone, "Hey, no in-person meetings. We're only going to talk virtually. You may or may not have your camera on." No one's going to believe you. It's like, yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, and mm. but but I think and, and I think it builds a certain trust because you have to believe in each other and hard and good times are hard times. It sort of helps you do that. Hey there, this is Ben. Thanks for tuning in to lead the team. Before we jump in, we just broke into the top 3% of all podcasts globally, and that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you. I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Welcome back to Lead the Team, everybody. Today, I've got Ankit Vahia, who is an ex-cancer researcher turned advertising strategist and who's now the chief strategy officer for the health and wellness practice over at Gray. Over the past decade, he has worked across and launched multiple global pharmaceutical products covering everything from diabetes to oncology to COVID vaccines. He also has his PhD in molecular biology and a postdoc in clinical oncology from the Harvard Medical School. Ankit, welcome to Lead the Team. Thank you, Ben. Excited to be here and looking forward to the conversation. So understand that... Uh, Miscommunication one time played sort of a funny role in your career. What was that all yeah. about? <laughs> you know, it's it's a lesson I've never forgotten. Uh, you know, I, I I genuinely look at the lighter side of things, and this was a learning that perhaps next time I need to shut my mouth. Uh, you know, it was very <laughs> early days. I was getting out of, uh, you know, being a postdoctoral research, which is a completely different environment from a little startup consulting firm. And a very senior person in that company uh, was talking to my buddy and kept telling him, hey, we need to partner with Pricewaterhouse. And he would say, we want to partner with PwC in a very thick accent. And my buddy would keep asking him, well, who's Peter Busey? And this, <laughs> he's like, oh, no, he's like PwC. And this other, my buddy's like, again, I don't know who Peter Busey is. Should I know this guy? And my junior, unaware self just cracked up thinking, well, perhaps everyone shares a sense of humor. No one else did. It was made ample clear to me that no one did. And I learned a lesson the other day, that day that now a decade later has lasted me, which is a sense of humor is an important tool if and only if used in the right circumstances. Nice. Nice. No mas, like you're gonna be in so yeah. much trouble. So hey, it's it's last. I haven't gotten into trouble since. Peter then. Busey yeah. versus Price Waterhouse Coopers PwC. Yeah, making <laughs> business decisions based on that. Yeah, and that and that is, it's like a real funny experience. But yeah, you have to be get to tread carefully when you're talking about humor in corporate. And but but frankly, humor is needed in corporate when you share a joke and people laugh. It yeah. can bring people together. Uh, you know, and and make everybody relax a little bit. But yeah, 
it's, it, right it, it's, it's true, right? You know, and and I think, uh, you know, it was no harm, no foul. It was all fine. But again, you know, humor used well, I think, is perhaps the most powerful storytelling tool you have as well. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Is there, say, another time when it where humor played out for you, or you saw it played out well for somebody else? At, at, <laughs> You know, actually, I, I, I genuinely believe in the power of self-deprecation. Mm-hmm. I use that. You know, I very much believe that it's a nice way to disarm people, make people feel at ease. Uh, you know, I'll be the first one to tell a dad joke. I'll be the first one to do. I'll first one put on my hand and say that I'm probably asking a stupid question, but here we go. Uh, and I think it just works mm-hmm. exceedingly well because I think what it does is it, it humanizes you. It makes the other person feel comfortable and you immediately go from a formal chat to just an easy conversation. And, oh, I love and, that. I love it. And, and I mean, I just, since, since I was little, uh, humor has been sort of a defense mechanism for me. Mm. And now it's a primary communication approach. Not, you know, it's not like making fun of someone. It's self-deprecation, looking at the lighter side of things, uh, you know, uh, it, it's just easier, especially in these pandemic times, you know, mm. where everyone, we all got wound up so tight. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And there are conversations that are possible with your team or with your customer that just start through humor that just aren't possible if everyone's uptight and kind of freaking out about things. So, so what's your favorite dad joke? What's my favorite dad joke? Oh, that was, you know, it's usually a pun. It's some like silly pun that comes up. Uh, oh God, I'm going to have to noodle on that one. My daughters have taught me a couple of really good ones off late that I'm just, I'm yeah. I don't know the top of my head, but there's usually, usually something or the other comes up, you know, for the longest time we'd get into meetings with prospective clients and, you know, my introduction would be, hi, I'm Ankit Bahia, chief strategy officer and all around good guy, which is if you're a fan of pop culture is how George of the Jungle is introduced in that oh. whole movie. Always gets a laugh. Yeah. People always like, okay, that's that's weird, but okay. And then I have a buddy, uh, you know, who always, you know, a, a work friend who always will say something off the cuff. He'd be like, hey, I'm so-and-so. And if I was an animal, I'd be a penguin. That's not the question anyone asked. And it's just, it's been a nice, simple tool to, to bring to the table. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Self sort of, sort of leading with that self deprecation tool versus some sort of political humor or something like that. Yeah, it's a good exactly. safe way. Make fun of yourself first, break down the barriers and uh, roll from there. Well, let's, let's shift into one of the next things that immediately jumped out about me or jumped out to me about your career is you have some pretty heavyweight credentials in molecular biology and clinical <laughs> oncology from Harvard. And yet, you know, we came to you as the chief strategy officer. So there's a big, pretty big leap going from research to advertising. So how the heck did yeah. that all, all transpire? You know, it, 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 I'll be honest. I, I always like setting that up because it always gets a reaction and it's always amusing. Like, well, how'd you get here? I think part of it is I got I got lucky, but part of it is I, 
you know, I always wanted to do advertising, actually. When I was 16 growing up, I remember mm-hmm. that. So what are you going to do? And, you know, I grew up in India, you know, where you kind of choose your major when you're 18 years old, which now when you think back is how is any 18-year-old going to know well, what they want to do? And how old it? were you when you moved from India oh, to the 22. States? Uh, 22, okay. 22. So, so, you know, I was like, I want to advertising and, you know, you talk to your parents. And it's like, well, I don't know if that's the right thing. So I ended up going, doing my undergrad in biochemistry. And then at some point, it's like, you know, I'm just going to get... I say this and I say it with a sense of humor is I always say that I think I got my PhD to get my dad off my back. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. but you know, it was great. <laughs> I love, I so love, parents I love. were like, yeah, advertising, that'd be nice. But would you prefer to go to Harvard medical school and uh, so something we can only really brag to the relatives around here? <laughs> so <laughs> it, it's funny. No, it, it was, it was, so, you know, I, I ended up going to uh, UMass for my PhD uh, in biochemistry. Then I worked in a clinical oncology lab at Harvard to get mm-hmm. my postdoc. And I loved it, honestly. Like, I loved the research. I loved the science. You know, I was half decent at it. But then you kind of realize that if you really want to make an impact, and this sounds crazy, uh, there's got to be a better way to do it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when you're a scientist, you can't really take care of your family. They pay you nothing. Mm-hmm. And you're still in, you know, you're tasked with for lack of a better word, finding a better way to treat cancer or curing cancer. And I always thought just talking to people, and this is very common with PhDs, right? Like the McKinsey's and the Boston Consulting Groups of the world seem like where you want to go. So, But I want to go to startups. I worked in a startup. I don't Mm. think consulting was my thing. And I had a buddy who was like, why don't you come interview at an ad agency? And, you know, I ended up getting into it eight years ago. And lo and behold, it's been like, it's, it's been incredibly fun incredibly fun like you've just worked and met people you realize there's a whole world of people like you and that just opens your eyes to what's possible where you can be yourself there's no holding back there's no pretense it's meaningful and fun at the same time so it, it's a little bit it, it, it's a more it's a little bit more rational when i break it down and so it's you, actually you felt problem. like you got on the wrong it's not, not the wrong path because there i don't believe there's a wrong path per se in a career but you you had interest early on. You kind of di- diverged into a different sphere, yeah. and you gave it a good shot. You kind of exactly. went. I mean, you went all the way with it. Uh, <laughs> and then, w- was there a specific conversation or a moment or a realization? I think that just you had. So, you're like, I, I got to get back to this advertising. Yeah, I'm, look, I, I think it was simple. It just didn't scratch the itch beyond the point. I knew there's more I wanted to do. That I was like, there has to be more room to bring in creativity more room to you know have you know meet more people do more things like how do you impact people's lives like maybe your science works maybe it doesn't and there's got to be a better way and and i think it was just a realization that honestly i didn't know where it would take me when i started consulting because i was like is that is that where i want to go i don't know but you know as luck would have it you end up in the right place at the right time and mm-hmm. that's sort of where it was. And, you know, I've met lifelong mentors since then in advertising. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like this is so tacky for me to say, but I'm going to say it. I don't, for me, it's not really work. I just have fun doing this. I, there's nothing else I wanted to do but advertising. So it's not a day when I'm like, oh, I don't like what I'm doing. I'm like, no, this is great. Let's keep going. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, congrats on having the courage to make that change. <laughs> uh, man, I mean, you, you put a lot of time and effort into that. And in my sense is, that you're tapping into this background that you have frequently because you're, I mean, when, when I, when we went through this, that you're still working with pharmaceutical 
companies, right? You're just doing the advertising piece for them. Is, is that right? Yeah. And, you know, we do the entire marketing plan and things like that. But absolutely, like I wouldn't be where I am without my PhD or without my oncology experience or mm-hmm. even without my consulting experience. And, and I think sort of one thing I took away from all of it is I think very often, uh, you know, when people change careers, there's a propensity to want to shed the past. Like, oh, I want nothing to do with what I used to do. But I think when you've put so much time into it, there's always learnings. Like, mm. you know, as a scientist, you learn scientific method, which at the end of the day is just being able to think, think analytically about things. It's just being able to, uh, you know, think about marketing theories or, you know, any of that. Just You're yeah. just trained. So you can still bring that to marketing. I think the tools you learn as a consultant, whether it be slide making, storytelling, breaking problems down for clients, you can't like, I don't think anyone should ever let, you know, you can move on careers, but don't forget the skills you've learned because when you bring mm-hmm. them in, you're, in essence, you're very unique, right? What's yeah. helped me is I always wanted to pull those skills along. And I was like, I've put in the time. Like, I know these things. Let's see if we can make them work. Yeah, I love that. And it's just a, it's a real sort of awareness check for leaders who might be frustrated in their career and maybe like, man, if I, I make a huge job change into my like throwing away all the other experiences I've had. And I really like your example because you found a way for actually this unique combination that makes Ankit Ankit is, you say, more valuable to the company, more valuable certainly to your customers. And you speak the language of PhD, which, exactly. um, that's it. you know, that I think that's a huge, huge advantage. Now, sort of fast forwarding a little bit, you know, you go on at Gray. And, and you're kind of working along there and then COVID hits and you've charged with building a team, it sounds like. And and one of the things that came out of our earlier discussion for the listeners is that Ankit essentially recruited, trained, brought in an entire team during COVID without actually meeting them in person. So what was that like and what and, and how's it gone so far? I think it, it was actually amazing. You know, it's funny going in, you know, like my job was that let's build out the health and wellness strategy team at Gray. And so we, you know, we started, we started going in on it. And, you know, there's a question you kind of ask is what, what do you really value in candidates is what was the big question at that time, right? You're talking about 2020, uh, you know, there's no in-person interviews and, you know, Everyone knows, right? The resume and skill sets you have on paper don't always tell the full story. So I think That's what, sure. right? And, 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 <laughs> <laughs> and you'll get so much out of a piece of paper resume. Yeah. 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 And so you kind of realize that what you're going to be basing the interview on is, you know, people's ability to have a conversation without the advantage of body language, right? And so even the person you're talking to, their mm-hmm. challenge how do I convince this, this individual that I'm the right person for the right job? And it was, it was great because, you know, suddenly culture, I would say, became very key. Chemistry became the key. Mm. Skill sets, while still being extremely important, weren't, the, weren't make or break. It was culture, temperament, you know, teachability. Mm. And so when you start prioritizing some of those attributes, you know, you can teach someone how to build a deck or how to run a workshop or how to, you know, or help them understand a disease area that they perhaps haven't worked with. But some of those innate traits are what we kind of Mm -hmm. started honing in on. 
And, uh, you know, the people, like the team we have is just fantastic. It's tight knit. It's like, you know, I was saying someone the other day, it's, it's like a swarm, like it's a hive mind. Everyone's on the same page because you've kind of developed chemistry mm. in the hardest that was unimaginable. Like early 2019, if you told someone, Hey, no in-person meetings, we're only going to talk virtually. You may or may not have your camera on. No one's going to believe you. It's like, yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, and, mm-hmm. but, but I think, and, and I think it builds a certain trust because you have to believe in each other and hard time, good times are hard times. It sort of helps you do that. I think the other thing that happened is our pool widened. So we were now like talking to candidates from all over the country mm-hmm. and you realize that a lot of people want to work with prey and want to work with the team, but weren't physically in New York, but now they had the opportunity. So suddenly you start meeting yeah. people who made choices, you know, to live in certain parts for quality of life and for family and things like that. And so they innately have a certain culture that fit very well, very, mm-hmm. you know, what's important and you know how to get things done. And so it was just a great, uh, it was challenging, but, you know, looking back, uh, you know, definitely some positives coming out of as well. Like yeah. I met some amazing, amazing people. Yeah. It reminds me of like a baseball thing where you're getting ready to step up to bat. And you put the batting weight on your bat, take a few swings, which makes the swing yeah. harder. And then you yeah. pop the weight off and you're like, wow, I can swing this thing, you know, so much more easily and effectively uh, when I'm finally up to bat. And now your teams, you know, probably firing all cil- cylinders, but we have some teams that are, you know, leaders are struggling with the fact that their team's going to be hybrid or going to stay remote. Yeah. What advice do you have for leaders who find themselves in a situation where they need to hire people and build trust and connection with people that they're probably not going to meet anytime soon with in person. I mean, you know, fun fact, I met someone who's been on my team for two years for the first time last week. Like literally we've never met. She's, you know, one of the best people on our team. And it's crazy. I, I, I think like what I would say is if, 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 if any leader is going to go down the path of hiring someone who's going to be remote or isn't going to be on site or can't be on site, Mm-hmm. You know, it, the whole thing has, you have to trust that person is going to get what needs to be done because there's no way you can fully manage them, right? They're not going to be in that cubicle anymore in front of you. Yeah. So unless you're, you, you believe that you can trust that this person will get it done and I trust the work that's going to come out, don't do it because otherwise it's just going to, there's going to be anxiety and stress for everyone and the work inadvertently suffers. Mm. So start with trust, give them trust, hire somebody you can trust and whatever, whatever mechanisms or filtering processes or questions you got to ask to get there and get there. And and you know, it's like, you know, I think we tend to focus and we've all been guilty. I've been guilty on, you know, focus on like the acute, which is specific disease area experience or a certain skill set or these short term needs that, that you can, uh, you can satisfy. I think. I don't think that's the way you hire someone who's not going to be able to come to the office because once that short-term goal is met, Mm -hmm. you're going to ask yourself, are they a good cultural fit? You know, do they, from a mindset perspective, are they right for my team? Are they right for the business I'm building? Like, you know, you could be a startup business that has a different business goal from a mature business, which is more maintenance. Mm -hmm. And so are you hiring the right skill set to fit your organizational goals? I think, I think just those are the questions that that you need to ask. It's not like, hey, you're a bunch of good people. Great, but what are your goals? Is it growth? Is it maintenance? What is uh, it? Yeah, what a great way to trust 
to, to know if you can really trust someone early is to know if their personal goals are aligned with the company's goals. Yeah. If you can find that out, you got a good shot because the better they do, they're going to feel like they're going somewhere that's helpful to them in their career and they're going to get it done for the company. Absolutely. And, you know, they'll be happy. Look, at the end of the day, you want them to be happy because that's going to keep everyone motivated, yeah. uh, you know. And so, if the, yeah, that, that alignment, I always find is key. Look, it, you're not always going to be right. You know, there's going to be definitely times when it was not, wasn't the right move or right fit. But I feel like this is the best you can do right now. Yeah, I like that so much because you can really understand their personal goals in their first or second interview. And then make, and make sure that they're aligned to the company. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. So just moving ahead a little bit, we're talking a little bit, a little bit about this before we got rolling here, but you know, our, our company does a lot with training and coaching leaders specifically in terms of reducing turnover, because when you invest in employees, you sort of show them that career path that's aligned to the company. Uh, it's important, but the, but the cost of turnover can be very, very expensive, over $200,000 per year, according to our research. Do you believe that this cost of turnover is something that organizations need to be tracking for themselves? Yeah, I mean... Absolutely, but it's also really hard in this market to mm. use that as a as a metric. Like you know, there's always a cost of you know. We always say like you know, we retain or you hire someone, and you know, everyone knows that. But I, I think they should. I think I think there's ho- hopefully some solutions. But I also think in a market where talent is at a premium, you know, there's only so much beyond the point organizations can do about it because there's always someone out there who's going to poach talent, someone who's going to take your talent. So it's like, you know, to what extent can an organization prevent turn? I think at certain levels you can perhaps, but uh, I mean, I'm not sure. Yeah, Yeah, maybe a good question is what's the level of turnover that you are willing to accept as a leader? Yeah. uh, If you say say 1%, you got to work a lot harder than like, okay, I can take 10% in in, in this marketplace. I'd like we're doing pretty That's exactly it, right? It's it's such a fluctuating... uh, uh, situation like uh, I mean, uh, you know, last year it, it was devastating. It was it was a complete arms race for talent. It's gotten better this year. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, perceived recession coming. Then what happens? Like, you know, are you more open to turnover because there's less of a cost to turnover in times of recession? I don't know, but I think yeah. this thing it it depends. It depends on the organization, the kind of talent. Is it general? Is it specialized? Uh, it's yeah, I wish there was a simple answer. I've tried to. I try to make a case always, and I always find myself like questioning my own thinking. Like sometimes turnover is good. Maybe you're applying the scientific. Like <laughs> 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 we're breaking this down from a scientific standpoint. You know, it's the br- only way my brain knows how to work. Let's <laughs> br- scientific theory. Let's bring it back to the science. The you know, you said something interesting, and we can. I don't. We don't have to. We don't have to get on this rabbit hole. But you said a perceived recession. So, is it a matter of perception? I think uh, in the twenty-four hour news cycle, it depends what you're reading and where. Let me put it that way. I mean, the reason I say perceived is 
there was an article in Fortune, I think yesterday, I didn't get through it fully, but it's basically like, who's going to tell us when the recession is coming? Whether it was CNN, I don't know. We'll after it's over. <laughs> yeah, like, like if it is. Now, of course, like with, it's of course, there is a issue. You look at the inflation and the rates going up and all of that good stuff. But then on a, on a market to market perspective is who does it hit and where? Like, you know, tech is getting hit. There's layoffs in mm-hmm. our startup perspective. But if you look at the healthcare space, you know, it's still running on all cylinders. Yeah. So where, where, yeah. what's going to get hit next? We don't know. And I think the bigger question is, what does that mean for a talent? So is that going to mean in a certain field, talent doesn't want to leave anymore? So does that mean there's less turnover? So if you're seeing turnover, it's okay because there's other folks yeah. you could potentially replace for not, you know, which would be quite an even, even comparison. What, so yeah. What's your most colorful story of when someone quit or was fired? Oh, also early on, uh, I think this individual had no had no clue this was coming, and you know, it was very obvious to all of us. I was about a month in into my job, uh, and in, into my in my first gig in advertising, and 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 this individual, you know, was we all, we all knew it was happening. Gets told, storms out of the office, and basically stands at you know, as a clump of desks. And points fingers at like every single person, telling them exactly how she felt about them, and it was, it was kind of, it was kind of, it was kind of surreal. You're like, wow, like this is straight out of Office Space, you know? Like, wow, it's really happening, you know? Or Seinfeld. It sounds like Festivus. Festivus, yeah. Like (laughs) I'm gonna tell you people. And 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 then someone goes to tell her, hey, you know, maybe you don't want to say it. And then it's like, you, you did this. 15 minute like ramble. And then then basically says, uh, yeah, but is there any way I can still keep this job for another month? It's like, what? You literally spent 15 minutes uh. like a, like cursing people out. <laughs> At a very personal level. Oh, great! And now here we are. And this, I mean, I, I, I think, want to think that one through. Then, yeah, yeah. It's like you wow. should have waited a month. Yeah, <laughs> should have waited a Jeez. month. <laughs> well, yeah, it was it was insane, and and I think like started just I. It was surreal. Never seen that. What? <laughs> what employee has a big idea? What's your advice on how they should communicate it to the C-suite? Yeah, I, I, I think you know all too often when 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 it, in, I, I, I've been guilty of it for sure. You you fall in love with the idea very quickly, and then you focus mm-hmm. more on what the idea is. Whereas I think if you're going to a C-suite or asking someone for an investment, I think you basically first start by identifying the problem or the need that you're targeting. Like no. this is the problem. This is the issue. The solution. To the, and then from there, you go to breaking out the problem, why it's important, and most importantly, why is it important for the organization to tackle mm-hmm. the problem, right? Because there's so many great problems that that you know a person may have a solution to, but if you're asking going to an organization or the C-suite, let them know why they think the organization is the right one to solve for this issue. From, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I I, know. I I like that idea. It's so important because it's like we we nat- oftentimes we think of the problem as it impacts us as individuals first, yeah. which I think is just human nature. But before, and I think what you're saying too, and I'm hearing is before you present it, you got to do jujitsu 
and sort of flip it around and say, even though this is affecting us and my team, what's the broader impact of the organization? Otherwise, we may not get very far with it. You know, it, it's funny. The president of our practice, you're, she, she's like, well, anyone goes to she's like, what's the whiffin? Like, what's in it for me? Like, if you're mm-hmm. telling me you care, like, uh, like and, 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 you know, it, it's not from a, oh, like from her perspective, but it's more like, think about organization and organi- or the client's going to ask you what's in it for me. Like, why should yeah. my company do it? Or why should, why should we do it? And I think getting to that with them is critical because once you do that, you've built a business case, you've built a yep. cultural case, and you also build a moral case for an organization to take your yeah. idea uh, uh, like seriously. And then sort of going from there to, and I think that's one part, then is when you present a solution, you present your solution, also breaking down the details of what it's going to cost or take or what investment, whether it be, you know, financial investment, whether it be a uh, uh, just time investment, sweat investment, whatever it is you're asking for, like break down what that could look like. And it's always, I've always found on my end to give multiple scenarios. Here's one way you could do it. Here's a second and here's a third way to sort of break down that there's multiple approaches to solving that problem. And I think that's important because perhaps there's a fourth way. You know, once you engage the C-suite, you also know that these are individuals who've been through a lot and will work with you to elevate your ideas. So when you go in multiple ways, perhaps you can work together to get to a fourth solution that Mm. may be effective. So I think it always works a scenario plan a little bit uh, going in and, and, you know, at, at the end of the day, when you go in, yes, you know, anyone who goes in wants a yes answer. But what you also want is to have a very thorough, robust, informed conversation to make your idea better or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. So you're sharing it to sort of win approval, but more importantly, to strengthen it and to yeah. get the insight from yeah. somebody else and and, yeah. and, to, and to become better. And I like that. It, 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 you didn't exactly say this, but it sounds like it's really like look beyond just the one idea you're presenting. This yeah. is the first one, hopefully of many. And so yeah. you're in it to build your credibility, to build up your credits inside the organization. So you can be that person when you show up, people listen, but it's not going to necessarily be that way the first time. And you may fail, but that's part of the process, I suspect. Exactly. Exactly. Like it's, and it's always a learning. Like I always found, you know, presenting ideas to senior management is always a learning process. You always learn, hey, I could have done this better or, you know, oh, I didn't even think of that. I think, I think that's in some ways the bigger benefit of presenting to the C-suite. Like you, you learn something in the process. You learn how to be better at doing, you know, presenting or thinking or whatever it is. What books, podcasts, or music do you recommend for someone who's already in the C-suite or on a mission to get there? So I, I, I recently uh, read this book. Uh, it's, it's, it's a bit of a self-help book, but it's also like a little bit of philosophy. It's called uh, what you what to say when you talk to yourself. It's just an interesting uh, take on, uh, you know, self-belief, self-confidence, mm-hmm. you, know, you, you know, like I find myself saying, well, I've said this, I've put it out in the ether. We'll see what happens. And I think there's a certain truth to like, if, if you, you know, if you believe it, you you got to believe something for it to actually happen for it to manifest itself. It's just a nice, it's a good book. I think it's a good reminder. I think mm-hmm. just from my perspective, like in the C-suite, it's, it's helpful to remind myself what, 
tools you'd use to get to this point in the first place. And, you know, and, and for anyone really at, at any level, I think it's helpful. I think when it comes, to, uh, uh, you know, music, just it is, funnily enough, <laughs> I like listening to EDM and dubstep when I'm working. I don't know why. And Wait, I'm not- EDM, electronic dance music, and what yeah. was the other one? Yeah, yeah, like electronic dance music, dubstep. Uh, what uh, is dubstep? A, 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 a dubstep, a Skrillex. Dub- I don't know if you've heard of Skrillex. Like, I like, yeah. I like listening to him when I'm working. Uh, you know, it's just something about it helps helps uh, helps me focus. Uh, but yeah, I, I think those have been uh, those have been exceedingly uh, helpful uh, off off late. That's that's worked. So I mean, yeah. So before we get too far, first of all, what's the saving? Talk to yourself. I'll, I'll put a link to that. Do you know the author author offhand? If yeah, not, yeah, it, it it is Shad Humstetter. Okay. S H A D. Uh, Helm, H-E-L-M-S-T-E-T-T-E-R. Okay, I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. But there, there's a there's science. I'm sure the book may go go into this, but we can talk to ourselves yeah. at a much faster rate than we can talk to, say, our friend. And so whatever message you're giving yourself, you're giving it like at 10x the impact. So like if you think, and I told my daughter about this the other day, I'm like, maybe. So you get picked on at camp or, you know, someone saying something mean to you. Well, what's even, what's like 10 times more powerful to that is what are you saying to yourself? Are you oh. the encourager and the friend to yourself or are you the bully to yourself? And people, I'll tell you, man, really the people that are sort of this self bullying and they don't even know about it and it, and it can really impact you. Um, I mean, it's 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 so so true right i mean uh, we talk about it like 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 you know at, at work to, to my friends like hard work and self-belief will beat talent any day of the week hmm. that's you know there's plenty of talented people but someone who believes they wanted more you know they're gonna get yeah. it because they just wanted that they have that that little mental bug it's that uh it's, it's that need, like, you know, you believe you want it. You're going to go get it. When you talk to yourself, do you use your first name or last name? I don't know if I really talk to myself. I just say like, let's do it. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's a constant. All that's, what I want. that's what I want to achieve. I'm going to go get it. That's my vision. That's where I want to go. So we had this conversation with somehow it came up with Pame Bassi, who's the chief learning and diversity officer at Kraft Heinz. And we were like, well, sometimes. Uh, and I've read this somewhere where if you refer to yourself in the uh, by your first name, like Ben, you got this, you got this, yeah. Ben. It's usually a more compassionate voice versus by versus by say Fanning. It's more like gym teacher, drill sergeant, like Fanning. You got this. You know, either one could be helpful depending on uh, the situation. So that's that's interesting. I didn't know that, huh? But, but I mean, I mean. You look at Tom Brady, right? The you know, arguably the greatest football player uh, in the generation, if not ever. I mean, I literally think his career is founded on him like pumping himself up, like mm. just not the most physically skilled, but just sort of willing his way to becoming yeah. this. Like you see his interviews and all that. It's like he just wants it more than everyone Something's else. Something's going on there. Yeah, yeah. Something's going on. Now going back to your supportive music, I love EDM. Talk about the EDM conversation. 
do you listen to it in the background while yeah. you're in your okay all I think you, it's loud in my headphones it's loud in your headphones why is yeah. it while you're working okay yeah. and so it does not distract you no and, and you know i'm not the first person to say this i remember sharing it with someone and he's like yeah like it, it apparently helps you focus okay works for me i'll, I'll take it <laughs> how, how long per day are you in that zone listening typically oh, so, so typically it's when you're you know your head down working on like a project not like yeah. meeting but you know when you yeah. need like two three hours of focus work you're just like cranking away at it and you would recommend for a starter skrillex <laughs> sure okay sure. i, I kind of stumbled onto it a few years ago it helps me just to caveat it there's enough people who dislike his music so but hey so be it hey you got to try something so do you listen to Spotify or do you have Amazon? Or? Yeah, like like yeah, I just do the Spotify channel, the Skrillex oh, channel. Okay. Uh, yeah, like like uh, I uh, there's a couple of them. Wait, let me just open my Spotify playlist. I listen to there's uh, Kygo is another one I listen to. Yeah. What is that? Kygo. Kygo, yeah, K Y G O, and uh, this other one. The channel is the. E- Iman Beck, I M A N B E K, the Iman Beck Radio. So you, you know the the radio channels on Spotify are great. Like it starts with an artist and then goes all over. Yeah. So I'll just pick one of those. All right, everybody, you just picked up another tip on some music. Check out. I'm gonna check it out. I know about EDM, but I wouldn't say I normally listen to it. But I'm head down and doing some work. But I will <laughs> awesome. know, give it a shot. Now, before we get off here, I'm seeing Pearl Jam, Fenway Park. Boston poster. I see a YouTube yeah. poster. You're a big music fan, huh? I am, but these two were like uh, bucket list concerts uh, with my brother when we were, you know, little kids growing up in in, in Bombay. It's like, man, someday we're gonna watch you two together and Pearl Jam together. And these are like, uh, 2005 was when I saw you two right as I moved to the states for them. And this was the 20, I think the 20th anniversary of 10, you know, Pearl Jam. Oh, yeah. The Fenway Park, you know, Boston. Iconic Sport. band and My album. Brother, yeah. So, you know, I have these up because these are probably the, you know, two of, two of, you know, marquee moments with my, with my brother uh, living a childhood. Yeah. So here they are. <laughs> oh, I love it. So music has played a big part in your life. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, my my wife's a singer. My kids play three instruments. It's uh, I can do either. I will listen. That's as far as someone's got to appreciate it. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, and fund it. <laughs> right, everyone. <laughs> hey. Touche, touche. Yeah. Well, I mean, Da Vinci had a had someone you know funding all of his work and Michelangelo. So fair, fair enough, right? Fair enough. To do your <laughs> All right, Anki, what a fun, fun, and helpful and insightful interview today. Uh, wrapping this up, what's your parting thought for listeners? Wow, for, for listeners, I mean, anyone, uh, uh, you know, we were, it's it's what, what we tell the kids, you know, we, we're going to swim, swim meet this morning. And, you know, anyone sort of looking to get to where they want to get to, it's like, you know, listen to Dory from Finding Nemo. you got to just keep swimming, mm-hmm. no matter no matter what and uh and yeah that's that's the best way i put it well you heard it from ankit everybody just <laughs> keep swimming ankit thanks for coming on the show today thanks ben it was a, it was a pleasure 
If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.